Welcome to Sex Ed with Misty. I am a certified sex educator and women's health advocate. I have a unique conservative slash liberal perspective on sexuality and women's bodies. So let's have some comfortable talks about potentially uncomfortable topics. Let's find pleasure in all its forms while holding on to our inner integrity and values. We can learn to love the body we've been gifted with. Whether we are fat or skinny, light or dark, queer, straight, or any combination that fits the wonderful, extraordinary you. Hi, this is Misty again, and I am here with Aerie today, and we are going to be discussing consent. Now, the first part of this podcast is going to be completely non-sexual, just talking about friendly, everyday, what is consent? And it does not necessarily have to have a sexual connotation. Um, Ari, what do you think about when you think about consent in a non-sexual way? Yeah, I think that's such an important um, place for us to start the conversation about consent because immediately people will think of, you know, these physical experiences where or sexual experiences where they're having to you know, navigate these complex waters. But if we start the conversation on just sort of what does personal consent look like? What does your own consent in your everyday life look like? Um, that actually makes it a lot less scary when we start entering into relationships or getting married or, or all these different um, areas where the more, you know, the big C consent comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So kind of starting with personal consent, like I was talking about, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I was 30 something years old when I realized I can tell someone, oh, I don't like having my back touched. Mm, Okay. And that seems like other people might think that that's very non-threatening, might not even cross their minds that that would bother you in any way. But for you, what does it mean when somebody touches your back? When they're, let's say you're walking down a street and your friend reaches over and touches you on the back. What does that, what does, how does that feel in your body? Yeah, so as I've been learning uh, about just my body, where are places where I'm very sensitive, where are places where I'm not sensitive, I have found that my lower back is really sensitive. It's tingly and ticklish and um, it can also become uh, like an arousing place to have to be touched. And there are people in my life, probably like everybody, everyone has people in their life that they don't want to be tickled yeah. by. <laughs> and, right. and it's really important that sort of, as we figure out what our bodies like and don't like, that we can also let people around us know, oh, my body does not need that from you. <laughs> Right, and make it not so that it's a big offense to people, but just kind of normalize the process of understanding what feels okay for you and your body. And for years, um, we've known people who say, oh, I'm just a hugger, you know, and they just go around just hugging everybody, right? And that's just their big excuse is, oh, I'm just a hugger, right? I have a friend who detests shaking hands, she will do mm-hmm. anything to avoid shaking hands with people. And it is in our culture, it's seen as something very non-threatening and fine. Maybe not so much post-ish 
COVID-ish. Not that we're ever going to be completely post-COVID, but maybe now people understand a little bit more clearly. You don't just automatically reach your hand out to shake people's hands. It still happens more maybe than I think it should, but at the same time, what's wrong with a fist bump? It does accomplishes the same connection and spreads less germs and is less alarming yes. to more people. So maybe just deciding in yourself, are you a hugger? What if you're not? How do you survive in a room where you know you're going to meet new people and somebody's just going to be bellowing out, I'm a hugger? You know, exactly. <laughs> how do you navigate that with grace and, you know, non-offense and, and honoring yourself and the fact that it makes you uncomfortable and it's okay. You recognize it makes you uncomfortable. It's okay to acknowledge that. Exactly. And I think, um, you know, sort of jumping off of that, what are the, the factors that come into play when we're thinking of our own consent? Um, you know, we've mentioned, does it feel good or does it not feel good? You know, do I feel safe being touched here or not? And our feelings are one way, but it's also really important to think about things like, you know, oh, am I concerned with germs? If you have a compromised immune system, you don't want to be overly touched. And that is perfectly acceptable. And that's one of those ways that helps you influence or helps you decide what consent looks like for you. Um, okay, so we've got, we've got, how does it feel? We've got, you know, what are your, your germ feelings? What are your feelings around germs? Um, I think it's also important to think about culture. You know, more and more these days, we have people of different cultural backgrounds coming together and hanging out. You know, in, I can speak for Japanese cultures that, you know, we're less touchy. Mm -hmm. You say hi with bows, you know, shaking hands is, is kind of an American thing, um, or maybe like a Western thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that might be one of the things that influences how you determine consent, what is acceptable. Um, part of that is going to be culture. Can you think of any other things um, that influence consent for you? Yeah, I, I can think of situations where um, somebody who's a hugger is hugging everybody else, but they don't hug me. And I think, wait a minute, I kind of would have been okay with a hug. Why did you skip over me? <laughs> you know, and you start making assumptions about this, like, oh, they're mad at me or oh, maybe they're uncomfortable hugging me because they're actually attracted to me and I'm not just part of the herd. Or you just start having these weird thoughts. And, you know, I am now a single woman and approaching social situations vastly different than I did a year ago at this time. So I think more about these things. Um, I like the example of aunts and uncles who don't just automatically scoop up their nieces and nephews, but as they're at a birthday party or a family function, they, you know, can approach the kid whose birthday it is and say, hey, is it okay if I give you a hug? Well, it's teaching the kid that they have a choice, number mm -hmm. one. They can choose whether they want auntie to give them a hug or not, which is important and valuable for teaching future consent in a very small and yet important way. 
and it's allowing the auntie to do the full-on hug instead of just that awkward half around the shoulder. Oh, I hate this, but I got to do it anyway <laughs> thing where maybe they press their cheek to yours and you're just gritting through it. Um, what's wrong with starting in our families? You know, starting in our core yes, family, family situation. Family dynamic. Yes, yes, that's a huge place to start exploring what does consent look like in my family dynamic not just i mean that's kind of culture right right and, when you and, said culture that's what i thought of yeah right. family because your family might have a very different culture than like the rest of the community that you live in because you know families that you grew up with who yeah. were super open and friendly and touchy and then a lot of families who you would never have considered hugging their mom or their dad or something, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, it's, it's vastly different. And I find it curious that we don't talk more about this because people just assume that the huggers have right away. Nobody yeah. even stops and thinks, well, I don't want to hug. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Good for you. Congratulations. You're a hugger. I don't want your hug. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it, you know, as I'm in situations where I am, in a room full of single people, there are some people who go to hug me that I think feel creepy for whatever reason. But my body becomes oh. alarmed and I think, ooh, I don't want a hug from you. And yet relationship status can influence where you draw the line for consent. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. It is a safely married woman, am I worried about other men hugging me? Not as much as a single woman in you know, opening myself up to the dating world. Mm -hmm. That's a different feeling for me of consent. Um, so yeah, within our families, I think that's a very good community to think about starting this whole idea of consent. And within our own bodies, learning to listen when you have a racing heart, when you get sweaty palms, when you, when an encounter with somebody is making you feel nervous, listen to your body. It may be something about the person it may not it may be something situational it doesn't mean that they are a bad person but at the same time it's okay to just keep your distance mm -hmm. and um not have your personal space invaded you know we're familiar with that term well you're invading my personal space well when you're touching somebody you are always invading their personal space exactly. so that is to be considered and with our culture becoming more and more alarmist about this whole idea behind consent. And, you know, as even as a grandma, the other day I was driving down the street and I saw this little kid who had crashed on his bike and he was just wailing and despondent on the <laughs> ground. Oh my gosh, he was probably seven years old, this little boy. And I, you know, I stopped in my car and even me, I know I'm innocent, but he doesn't, right? Exactly. I did not feel like I could get out of the car and check on this kid mm -hmm. because I was afraid of how I would be perceived. So I sat and I just watched. I watched and waited to see what would happen. Um, I rolled down my side window and I yelled out, hey, do you need any help? Well, come to find out he was on his own front lawn and his mother came stomping out. <laughs> picked him up by the ear and drug him in the house. And I was like, wow, I should have probably gotten out and given that kid a hug. He may not get one from his mom. But at the same time, I was brought up short with this whole societal norm of, 
you can't. You have to be more careful around children than mm-hmm. we ever have been before. It indeed is not like it was 50 years ago or 20 years ago even. We do have to be cautious. That doesn't mean that we don't, that we have to stop caring. Yeah, exactly. It does mean that we just need to watch ourselves and not make assumptions about situations. Like just increasing the awareness of ourselves, of others, and just, you know, where might this person's boundaries lie? Mm -hmm. You know, where do my boundaries lie? Don't just assume if you're a hugger that everybody in the room is a hugger. Be Mm -hmm. aware. Ooh, I like to hug. And, And I have had to go through this very conversation with myself. Like, wow, I don't have anybody that hugs me at all right now in my life (laughs) (laughs) on a regular basis right (laughs) and so I think wow I miss that feeling of connection with another person and maybe I could try to be a little bit more naturally huggy I don't think that I'm un you know that I'm opposed to hugging but I don't think it's always necessarily been my go-to reaction yeah. I remember as a young mom having to remind myself to touch my child more often than maybe was in my nature. Mm-hmm. It became within my nature to be more na- natural about that. But at some point I had to kind of train myself up for it. And I feel like I'm back in that training mode of myself in some ways of, huh, my body would like a hug. I consent. Now. Yes. Where are the huggers? <laughs> you know? So when I know that I'm with somebody that I already know or whatever I'm friends with, I know the people who really know how to hug, right? Mm-hmm. You get in there and you really give a good consensual on both people's sides hug and it makes your whole day. That feels completely different than when you go to hug somebody and they're stiff as a board and they pat, pat, pat you on the shoulder and don't lean in, you know, all of those are good signs to teach me, oh, this person is not a hugger. I should have probably started with a fist bump and not just taking it for granted that everybody in this room feels like I do, like starved for human touch, you know? So it's good to be reminded, Mm -hmm. even, yeah, at different stages of your life, how that's how that can change. Yeah. And how you can be perceived as as um, scary, <laughs> even when you know you're not. Yes. But that doesn't mean the other person doesn't know how safe and good it would feel to have a hug from you. Right. There's that, you know, increasing awareness. But then once you've also increased awareness for yourself and for others around you, then it's kind of increasing the conversation and the frequency at which we just check in with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, something else, because of the community that we live in, mm-hmm. I think our religion also can influence where we draw our lines of consent. Um, I think, you know, in this area, we live in a highly um, Latter-day Saint community, and they have some very, um, you know, clear guidelines on what their belief system and morality around um you know, physical touch. And that is another fantastic place to find, um, you know, oh, I know that this person is uh, religious and that they're going to probably have some of these influences in what they determine as consent. Uh, or maybe that's for yourself. I'm, I'm speaking 
third person because I'm not LDS, but I'm aware of LDS um, kind of culture and belief system. And I um, can still speak to the, yes, <laughs> the belief and system can. and culture <laughs> of being LDS. So we have both sides of the coin here. Right. But like what specifically, like uh, for example, what would be an example of knowing that I'm LDS? How would that make a difference if you're approaching me? Would it make a difference if you hugged me or if you stuck out your hand to me? Which right. would well, you so, initially so, do? You know, for someone who's familiar with LDS culture, they might go, oh, they love shaking hands. Oh my goodness, do you, you know, that's one of the things that when the elder missionaries come to Japan, they have to realize a lot of people aren't going to be comfortable immediately shaking hands because the, the, the true greeting is you bow. Mm. And then once, you know, if you're within your, your ward or your branch, then, then they will shake hands. That cultural because, influence. Right, because the cultural influence is there. And so that's American just, based, know, yeah. That's one example of sort of, oh, okay, you know, I know that I have these influences in, in my, um, the way that I think about consent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also, another thing is, if you are, if you are dating someone who's, say, not LDS and you are LDS, then you might want to just take a moment to say, hey, these are what my my values and my belief system is around um, touch. And even though it's, you know, even if it's just a kiss or a, a hug or a cuddle, you know, there's different levels of comfortability within right. even... Because the... for some people, it's never just a kiss. Right. Yeah, it, it has... Uh, it has deeper meaning, it has other layers, it has other things attached to that. Mm-hmm. But talking about it ahead of time doesn't necessarily spoil it. If anything, yeah. it can enhance the experience because guess what? You're communicating. And it's probably not as much about the kiss as it is about communicating how you feel about that person. Mm-hmm. And a kiss is seen as a way of doing that. Um and it's, that's a conversation that's just going to make it a, a safer place for everyone to be themselves, to be authentic, and then to also have fun. Right. You know, it's it's so nice to be able to have had a conversation with someone and know, oh, they are not only okay with hugs, they love hugs. Right. So now when I hug this person, I can enjoy knowing that they are also loving getting a hug. As opposed to someone who might, you know, if you don't have that conversation and now you don't know if you're in a, you know, good standing with this person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just kind of, it adds to the experience of, of having a relationship with yourself on your own terms and your consent on how to have relationship, uh, relationships with other people in the world that's consensual. Um, Right. And how to show up as yourself and not have to apologize for whatever you are. Mm -hmm. Right. I am this way and this is what I am comfortable with. And that's great. That's me. And normalize like if somebody's coming in for a big hug. You know, I don't I don't know if at that point you can stick your hand out, but you can definitely give a shoulder contact only hug. And that should Mm -hmm. be a pretty strong message, you know, and just be like, oh, laugh, laugh. I'm not much of a hugger, but thank you. Yeah. You know, that's a simple way of saying it. Exactly. If somebody's approaching me, that's a little bit creepy. That's what I've started to do. And I, okay, creepy is a terrible word to use (laughs) (laughs) because it's fraught with all kinds of old school 
prejudiced, but just somebody who I don't necessarily want to hug, right? Yeah. They don't aren't creepy to anybody else, but for whatever reason, for me, I don't want to hug them. Then that's kind of what I've started to do. Just give kind of the shoulder twist thing and or a one arm thing and be like, oh yeah, I'm just not so into that right now. And kind of normalize it, but have it in your head ahead of time so that you don't walk away feeling like, ooh, gross, I wish he hadn't hugged me. Right. Because it's never okay to have an encounter with somebody else and walk away saying, ooh, gross. Mm -hmm. That comes back to knowing your boundaries, knowing what your consent is. Yeah, which uh, along with kind of getting to know what our consent looks like for ourselves on an individual basis, I think another great sort of influence to how we decide where we draw the lines of consent is our sexual orientation. You know, someone who is asexual is going to have very different lines um, for them than someone else. Um, because, you know. Because, so let's just define for folks an orientation oh. of asexuality. Yes. Would be somebody that doesn't necessarily mean they have no interest in romance or friendship or intimacy as they define it. It just means that they do not experience a need for um, erotic, what we think of as sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. And that isn't some, an orientation that people are 100% all the time. People can drift in and out of asexuality depending on their situation. But it is definitely an orientation that shows up more and more today as people realize, oh, wait, I don't have some dysfunction. I just don't really feel the need to have sex. And yeah. it's not a dysfunction. It's an orientation. Exactly. Right. And, so, and that orientation is going to influence where they draw their boundaries. Um, right. Just as a woman's orientation, if she is a bisexual woman or if she is a lesbian woman, um, it's going to make a difference in how she approaches hugging other women, perhaps. Maybe yeah. there's somebody that she's attracted to that makes her nervous to hug because <laughs> it's it's a little bit of means a little bit more for that person than it would if you were hugging your grandma or your aunt or your other coworker. Yes. And at the same time, that table can be flipped. If somebody is known to be a lesbian as a woman, mm-hmm. other women can fear to hug them, right? They use it as a judgmental line without, and they make assumptions. Which hopefully our listeners have listened to all the Enough other episodes. The other stuff and not to know. Here. <laughs> Please stop judging each other. Please stop making assumptions right. about each other. Please just communicate and have a conversation. Which, you know, kind of kind of along that, you know, there are there are physical things that are non-sexual that someone might interpret as one way or another. And the way that we help to dispel that is by having conversations. Yes. Conversations around non-sexual touch. Uh, mm-hmm. that that help establish consent and the boundaries that we want to consent with, especially kind of coming back to those who are asexual. You know, I was listening to um, an interview on NPR of an asexual uh, couple who their their rules for what is cheating mm-hmm. is very different because there are certain 
um, things that they save for each other. And I think one of the examples was they watch a show together. There was some show that they watched together. Mm. And if they were to watch that show with someone else, you know, they really value that time spent together watching the show and having a discussion about it. And if they were to do that with someone else, they would feel a little bit like, hold on, Mm. our special little thing that we share. Our intimate moments. (laughs) Just got done with someone else. It's not sexual. It's Mm. not even, it's watching a show, right? It's not even physical contact. Right. It's an experience that's shared together. Mm. Um, But, you know, that to them is different. And so, you know, just as we're learning to establish our own boundaries, as well as get to understand other people's boundaries, I think it's really important to, you know, value, how do I phrase this? Value what we want to be within our boundaries of consent. This is what I consent to. This is what I not consent to. Um, And it doesn't have to, you know, fit the societal norms it doesn't have to fit societal standards as long as you're comfortable with it then those get to be your boundaries right so let's carry this over into more of a sexual nature yes and how do we have conversations about sexual consent and what does that even sound like what does that Which, even look like to anybody who was just here for the non-sexual part of the consent conversation you can tune in again when you're ready <laughs> But um, I think people become super alarmed when you bring up the word consent because they immediately have some some societal uh, assumptions that are associated with that word. And one is men suddenly sit up straight and stop touching everybody in the room because they're so worried about being seen as a sexual predator. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's plenty of instances in the media of this having happened and some of the movements that have happened over the last decade that indeed have spread light onto uh, a lot of workplace environments and stuff like that where rampant sexual harassment was happening both to men and women um and it was just not acceptable so then the pendulum swung really hard to well i can't even shake anybody's hand anymore maybe you can't (laughs) you know in if you're in a japanese culture you you should probably not shake everybody's hand when you're in a business meeting right yeah and i think (laughs) maybe it's just about stopping and thinking before you act with your body yeah business business is is westernized enough i think that shaking is is common kind of common practice now but like definitely in social settings like if you're in japan and you're meeting someone that you might be attracted to you don't need to shake their hand without checking in first right (laughs) and what does that checking in what does that feel like because this isn't something that just you have to check in with people that you're dating this is also something that spreads over into marriage it spreads over into long-term relationships it spreads over into just all you know friends with benefits whatever whatever your situation is checking in with a partner and checking in with yourself continue to be very important for mm-hmm. building blocks of your relationships so what would that beginning conversation sound like ari well well you're married. maybe maybe before like before we even get to interpersonal consent i think mm-hmm. Sexual consent just on our personal level is really important to establish as well, right? Like, 
you know, Knowing to prepare to have want. those conversations mm-hmm. with other people means we need to have spent a little time thinking about that for ourselves. Before we're in the situation. Right. Where, whereas like, you know, kind of bringing it back to, I'm, I am in a relationship with someone mm-hmm. and I have sex with this person. Mm-hmm. But that does not mean that I took the time when I was younger to actually establish what does, you know, what does my body like? Mm-hmm. What do I, what do I not like when it comes to intimacy and sexuality? Like I haven't taken that time necessarily. So, so you're still discovering things about this at, at your ripe old age of. 30-something. 30 30-something. 33, yes. 33. With your <laughs> I'm long-term partner. I'm not afraid to confess my age. Okay. With your long-term partner, you're still learning about mm-hmm. what does your body want? Yeah. In other words, what does your body consent to? So similar. Or not like and does ex- not yes. want to consent to. Maybe that's even more important to be able to identify. And, and a lot of those, you know, are going to be the same kind of things we were talking about earlier with the non-sexual consent. You know, what are the things that influence where I draw my boundaries for myself? You know, I'm not particularly religious. I'm totally okay with masturbation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like, okay, well, now that I've said yes to masturbation... What does that actually mean? What does that right. entail? Does that mean solo sex when you are alone? Does that mean joint masturbation when you're together with your partner? Mm-hmm. Does that mean, does that include watching porn? There are lots of levels of, yes, my body needs a sexual release. And I feel like, you know, solo sex or touching myself or masturbation is an acceptable way of doing that. But under what circumstances, under what umbrella? And a lot of married folks or partnered folks run into these sticky situations where they've never talked about it. Exactly. They just assume, well, if we're going to have sex, then we should be together, right? Right. And, <laughs> and do we ever like, ask our partner, hey, do you mind? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Partner A may have taken the time to decide what they consent to. Partner B may not have given it a single thought at all. Mm-hmm. Made all the assumptions like, oh, everything's fine. Yeah. Right. And then and then they go into a relationship and they go, hold on a second. Partner A is doing things that I did not think were going to, you know, say I'm not okay with pornography. Mm-hmm. And partner A is watching pornography. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay. The conversation didn't get had partially because... You know, before you can even have a conversation, you've got to know what you want to say. What are your boundaries? What mm-hmm. are the things that influence consent for you? Mm-hmm. And then once you've established that for yourself, now we go, okay, hey, I, w- I am interested in establishing a sexual relationship with you. <laughs> but this is what that means for me. Right. Yeah. And yeah. very few people other than myself are that straightforward about talking to whoever they're dating. Well, but I it would like be great if you could. I, I particularly made that sound like an awkward way to start the conversation. Right. Right. <laughs> there might be a little. But the thing is, before you start having sexy time is a time to have the conversation. And that is true for any kind of relationship. Um, mm-hmm. New, older uh, very old and established, it's still important to have these conversations because your tastes and your desires are going to change. I hope, I hope you're going to continue to seek pleasure in new yeah. and different ways and new and different experiences within your partnership. 
And those conversations become super important if you want to stay on the same page and you want to grow together in your journey of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Then that becomes very, very important. Especially with like, you know, bodies change, hormones change. It's important for us to just keep coming back to having these conversations, mm-hmm. normalizing having these conversations. Right. Um, whether we're, you know, single or with someone. Um, and I kind of, I feel like there's, there's multiple ways to start this conversation. You mm-hmm. know, some people it's like, we're just going to baby step it. And, you know, every time I start to notice things for myself, I just make a mental note of it. Um, and then every when time... When you notice something that you like or something you don't like? Yeah. Both. So, like, just okay. within yourself personally, you know, okay. you'll start to notice things you'll be like, you do hey, and don't like. hey, that really did it for me. What was different this time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but then also maybe in a relationship, mm-hmm. as you're starting to, say, date someone or get to know someone, you can sort of baby step that process as well and just say, hey, you know, we've been dating for a little while. Um, I... I would like to get closer with you mm-hmm. and, and then have that conversation that way. Other people are sort of like a, maybe rip the bandaid off all at once and they go, Hey, mm. uh, we've, you know, we, we've just gone on our first date, but these are all of my, these are my boundaries. These are where I draw the lines. This is sort of the illustration of my, of where I consent to things well, and, and not consent. depending on your situation and how culturally aligned the person is that you're dating, you may need to bring that up much sooner in your scenario than, right. you know, than folks that, and, and you try to get some of that over with, with the texting ahead of time before meeting each other, et cetera, et cetera. But it still is a different dynamic when you're physically with the person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, talking about it before the moment happens is generally preferred and then nobody ends up being alarmed. Well, and yeah, that's, you know, (laughs) kind of circling back to talking about, you know, the Me Too movement and how it really scared some people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all of those situations, well, not all of them, but some of those situations probably could have been avoided if um, the people involved were being proactive about conversations around consent. Right. And in, unfortunately, in many of those situations, they felt like their jobs were at risk or their family was at risk in a way mm-hmm. that made them unable to have a conversation. And that is no longer acceptable. Hopefully right. that, has, that has gone away with the dark ages. But as soon as the patriarchy is dead, that'll be dead too. So we know that's not necessarily anytime soon in every in every space that we move in in the world but hopefully we can we can all start doing better about we as female bodied individuals speaking up more clearly and Mm -hmm. sooner in um hopefully safer environments we hope the environments are getting safer we know that they not all are but and you know sort of the patriarchy is dead comment you know, men help us remove the rigid structure that was patriarchy so that, you know, the comment of patriarchy is dead or all men doesn't have to be be threatening, if that makes sense. Let's encourage equality. Let's encourage um, the responsibility of conversations around consent to be on both parties. 
Right. And the same with toxic, toxic femininity, right? I mean, it's the same. A feminist, you know, is used as a swear word in the same way that the patriarchy is used in that same slinging of terms around rather than remembering that we're all human beings on this planet trying to help each other be the best that we can be. Right. There's so much fun to be had out there. Right. Right. Why, why should we... <laughs> worry about slinging labels right uh instead let's just all jump on board the consent bag bandwagon because right. like i was saying with the hugs right you know if you if you've had a conversation and you know what where this person stands you can have a better hug well guess what <laughs> it gets even better when you're able to have a a sexual in relationship with someone and you know where they stand and you know what their boundaries are and they know what yours are mm-hmm. and now you're able to just play in this world without any worry of you know is this crossing boundaries for this person right and that's the same within a long-term relationship as it is in a getting to know you relationship because I can I can definitely attest to the fact that just because you've been married for 20 plus years or 30 plus years does not mean you know everything about your partner Mm -hmm. or about their changing body or their changing desires or their changing needs just as you're trying to still figure out your body (laughs) as it continues to grow they're trying to do the same thing so it's important for all of us um, that whole idea of we can really sink into the pleasure the more that we have conversations and then the more that we understand consent and yeah, the pleasure train can be a really fun train to ride (laughs) if everybody is happily on board and nobody's been stuffed in the luggage trunk, you know, and forced along the way. It's just a whole different scenario when, uh, when everybody is on board and, and these conversations are happening because I, it comes back to, again, what I say over and over again about sex it's rarely when there's a problem with a sexual relationship between two people, it's hardly ever about the sex. Or even yourself. Or even yourself. Yeah. It's really about how you view yourself. Have you accepted your body? Mm-hmm. Have you accepted this or that? Um, are the dishes done? Is the laundry finished? Does anybody care but me? I mean, there's so many different levels of, I had a terrible day at work. I'm starving. You know, all these other things are voices that are yelling at our bodies and can definitely impede that pleasure of coming together in an intimate way with with another body. Um, and, And it makes no difference. And sometimes it's actually more challenging the more years that you've spent together because I don't know if you stop trying or if it just everything becomes more comfortable and sometimes one person's growing faster than the other person or in a different direction and you need a redirect to reconnect. I mean, there's a lot of work involved, but I recently read a meme that said um, relationships require a lot of play. Yes. I love that. Right? Because what are we used to hearing? Relationships require a lot of work. Right. But guess what? Relationships require a lot of play. And play can be so much more fun if consent is included in Mm -hmm. the play. So. And it's a lot, you know, it's a lot less work when you, when you know where you stand. 
Right, but then we do get to that all-knowing stage when you've been with somebody for a period of time where you think you know everything, but maybe something's changed. So again, it's that check-in. Well, yeah. Is this okay? Saying, saying knowing where you stand is not uh, knowing where you stand for the rest of all eternity. Right, and it will it's, never change. And We, you know, <laughs> yes, it's important, especially as, you know, kind of touching back hormones change yes values change bodies our shapes. bodies change mm-hmm. yeah there's you know Family, so many things. dynamics and relationships and physical everything changes mm-hmm. yeah so um, which is great and exciting and fun if you just stay on top of it <laughs> yeah so um i want to kind of bring it all together okay so whether it is a sexual consent or non-sexual consent First thing that is helpful, kind of our first step, is that personal, that personal awareness of ourselves. Right, personal awareness of what our body consents to, what it likes, what it yes. needs, what it does not like, mm-hmm. what it does, what it absolutely refuses, and then you know being aware of the fact that other people are going to have different boundaries, and just kind of being aware of that and helping to, well, and then the next step after that is communicate. Right. Slow down. Yep. Look around. Have a conversation. Especially if somebody is meaningful to you, then they should deserve, they they should have that level of respect from you (laughs) to reach out and say, and some of the cutest conversations I've had while dating have been being with somebody who um, will check in with me often and say, is this okay? Was that okay? Did you like that? How was that? And is this okay? And just gently, gently checking in mm-hmm. all along the dating scenario, all along that road. And uh, I wish I would have done that more in my marriage. I wish I would have checked in more. Yeah. I wish I'd done that with myself more mm-hmm. while I was, you know, a prostitute. <laughs> yeah. Is this okay? What I'm doing? Is this, does my body like this? Is this safe? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, you know, what's the goal here? What is the goal of all of these talks on awareness of our consent, communicating our consent, you know, checking in with other people's consent? I think that the goal here is to get to a place where it's so normalized to have these conversations. These little check-ins. Right. Mm-hmm. That it becomes, you know, we don't have to worry and say, is this okay? Are you, you can start, well, we'll get to a point where people feel so comfortable letting you know when something is or isn't okay, Mm -hmm. that we won't have that worry in the back of our minds of, is what I'm doing okay to this person? Because we'll have created a society, granted, this might be years (laughs) down the road. Yes. um, But we will have created a society where everyone, everyone feels comfortable speaking for themselves and so they will let you know you know right now we still kind of worry uh is this person enjoying this thing that i'm doing to them right now Mm -hmm. and and it's like well they'll let you know communication yeah hopefully our communication will get better and better so the little sounds that you make or the words that you say will guide your partner along right Mm -hmm. so that they will then feel confident in your consent because your body is speaking loudly to them about your consent. Right. And there's nothing fake or 
pre-programmed about it, but it's genuine, sincere, and very clear communication, which is completely possible and desirable. Because the only reason those conversations right now feel awkward is because we don't have a a history of having those conversations. Right. We're trying something new and it's going to feel a little awkward in the beginning. Yes. That is applicable to all aspects of this podcast and sexuality. Yes. (laughs) Things that might feel new and a little weird. And a little uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, But need to be normalized and... Upon practice, they, they can become pleasurable and just add depth and breath to our lives and uh, to our sexuality. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, um, now before we end the podcast, did you want to share your um, story about your client that had reverse Oh, consent? reverse consent, because we always <laughs> talk about, um, well, mostly, uh, you should never use the word always, but mostly we talk about men, um, feeling like they have to receive consent from a woman before they kiss them, before they have sex with them. Mm -hmm. They have to ask for consent. They have to make sure they're not sexually harassing the woman, et cetera. So yes, I do have a a friend who, uh, a a man friend of mine, who told me about an experience of him dating somebody and they were passionately kissing and not necessarily doing anything else. No other handsy business going on. No other like super grinding going on. Nothing like that. Just really lovely, intimate. They were both very present in this kissing. And the woman had an orgasm. And my friend, the man, was like, wow, um, is this what I think is happening, happening? He, he, he was alarmed. He was actually quite alarmed because it was so startling to be kissing somebody to the point of orgasm. It was not something that he had ever experienced before. And indeed, this woman that he was with was super um, able to just do that. <laughs> and he'd never, you know, as most of us have probably never run into a woman like that. That's a, a huge talent of hers and that's what she liked to do. But he felt kind of alarmed and not necessarily aroused in that experience because he didn't want it to turn sexual. And indeed, all their clothes were on. They were not touching private parts of the body or anything, but he still felt like that was a really big step in being sexual together, for somebody to have an orgasm with you, right. that's a big thing. And and depending on how you define Find sex, sex, right? It alarmed him, and he did not know how to unravel that yeah. in his thinking, which is why he was talking to me about it and seeing what I thought as a sex ed- educator, you know. And in my mind, I was thinking this woman should have asked for his consent, mm-hmm. and she knew that she could do this. She she could have just said when she could see things were heating up with this kissing, hey, would you mind? Would it be okay with you if I end up having an orgasm? Or would that be... Yeah. Right? She could have just said that because she knew that she had... It It wasn't the first time it had ever happened in her life. It was just not this spontaneous thing. So it would have been more comfortable for him if she would have just checked in and asked. And then he could have been, well, yeah, knock my socks off. Go for it, you know? Or he could have been, you know, I feel like that's too much like having sex. And, right. and I, I have these standards that I'm holding myself to, but I am trying not to have sex with mm-hmm. people that I date right now. So without being alarming and with being respectful for both parties, 
a little consent conversation should have happened. So indeed, it's not just men who constantly need to seek consent from women. It's women who also need to seek consent from men. Especially as, um, you know, as, as grown adults, maybe the conversation is a little easier to have because we're a little more aware Mm-hmm. Um, of what our potential is with our body yeah. and our reactions. But imagine, you know, you're, you're younger, mm-hmm. you're a teen, teenager, you're just getting into the world of intimacy. That is, you know, an important conversation to be had because, my goodness, what a surprise it would be mm-hmm. if you have not done something like that with someone before mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they reach climax and mm-hmm. you did not. Right. Um, so, you know, let's play with it. Let's be playful. Let's remember that things might happen and that it's important to have those conversations, conversations around consent. Right. Can with happen our, before, during, our, and after. Yes. And even with our teens, I remember having a conversation with a teenage girl who happened to have an orgasm slip up on her while she was at the gym doing some <laughs> leg work and that whole pelvic floor squeezing rhythmically thing. And she was so embarrassed she was just like I don't know if anybody noticed but oh my gosh I was so embarrassed I had an orgasm at the gym and I don't know what to do about this I'm like honey you had so much fun ahead of you if you can have an orgasm at the gym but that's what I was thinking in my mind that's not what came out of my sex educator mouth (laughs) but at the same time yes don't underestimate the ability of young bodies and it's never too early no kids are never too young to start talking about bodies and pleasure and all of the beautiful varieties that we can experience life in so never too early to start having conversations about consent as well yeah never too early and never too late yes yes exactly thank you fantastic thanks